Hello and welcome to Hell is for Hyphenates for October 2011. I am writer, hyphen, critic, hyphen, Bazura Project still airing. There's still one more episode left to go. Please watch it. It's on Thursday nights. Lee Zachariah, and here as always is... Uh, hi, I'm a writer, hyphen, director, hyphen, uh, tease for talk radio. is still uh, polling votes for the ABCs of death. We should be on our last day. Please get on and vote. Uh, Paul Anthony Nelson. And with us uh, is a special guest villain. Uh, hello all. This is uh, film critic, hyphen, blogger, hyphen, watcher of the Zero Project and voter of Tease for Talk <laughs> Radio... Glenn Dunks. Uh, I like that you use your last hyphen to plug our stuff. You could have plugged your own stuff. <laughs> Blogger at Stale Popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> now, I know what, that we're going to have to talk about Drive, but I'm wondering if we should talk about it in order of who has seen it the most. Now, I've seen it once. Paul, how many? Uh, no, once. Yeah, You've seen it once. Mm-hmm. Glenn, once is... Three. Three, three times. times. Three times. Three, yes. And I intend on seeing it more. The film comes out on Thursday. You've <laughs> already has, seen it, it three times. It hasn't actually been released, and I have already seen it three times. So, so the ultimate question Seconds. is, uh, did you like it? Or no. Are you partial to it? It's a bit yeah. average, really. Yeah. But no, no, it's seriously, it is an astonishing film. I... Yeah, I mean, yeah. The fact that I've seen it three times proves how much I have fallen for mm. it. Uh, but what about you guys? Ah, uh, totally. I mean, yeah. This was one of those films that had so much hype, you know, in certain uh, sectors of the film geek community. And so I was, a, I was a little worried that excitement levels were too high. But I needn't have worried. You know, this was, yeah, it absolutely nailed everything it was going for and I think the key is that it didn't try to reinvent the wheel it told it's a very familiar type of film it just does everything really really well and I think that's why it works so well everything is done perfectly it doesn't reinvent the wheel but it puts really cool rims on it that's true yeah yeah. (laughs) it makes it go really really fast that's the thing kind of awesome it's definitely well-worn territory, but um, but God, does it do it with style and swagger. That's what I love. It's just so damn confident. Yeah, I, I read uh, a while ago some, uh, on online, uh, someone wants to have sex with this movie. <laughs> that's actually a, kind of a perfect way to describe it because it oozes sex appeal. It yes. Whether it's Ryan Gosling or just the, the cinematography, mm. the just... The sort of hypnotic music. Uh, yeah, it homages a whole bunch of stuff from, you know, Michael Mann's early films to to Live and Die in LA to Walter mm. Hill's The Driver. But it really uh, succeeds as something of its own. Nicholas Winding Refn definitely puts a, a visual stamp on the whole thing. And it's, um, it's just, so, it's kind of achingly tense. You're always waiting for the bottom to drop out of this world and for um, Ryan Gosling to, you know, sort of... for all his sort of hopes and dreams to be crushed. I think in this day and age, we kind of expect movies like this to be, you know, all action-packed and stuff happening all the time so that when there is a, qu- a quiet scene in Drive, you there is this in this feeling inside of you like, oh, something is going to happen, what is... and all throughout the movie, it's building up gradually. The violence gets more and more graphic. The action mm. scenes tend to 
uh, creep into it more. The the menacing tone of especially the Albert Brooks character really ramps up, and you just something is gonna have the dams are gonna break mm. eventually, mm. and this movie is just gonna let forth with the blood and the car chases and the awesome. And it <laughs> well, it's, I think it's better than most action films because, as you say, it's not. It's not just the action scenes that are so intense, it's the quiet scenes mm-hmm. between them. And he treats those like action films. He puts you on the edge of your seat when it's people sitting around a dinner table. Yeah, there's mm. so much playfulness going on. Just the, the looks that Ryan Gosling and Kerry Mulligan share mm. when they're not saying anything, but you can yeah. feel that electricity between them. Mm. And you wouldn't think it to listen to us, but there were other films out this <laughs> month. There was even another one with Ryan Gosling. Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did not see this one. Did I you? did. You did? Yes, did I. Yeah, what would you think? So we can talk about this one. Yeah. Um, Ryan Gosling has awesome abs. <laughs> <laughs> that, so- that sounds like a good plot. <laughs> that is pretty much. Look. Okay. Ryan Gosling looks great without a shirt on, and Emma Stone is absolutely adorable. Yeah, that's all this movie comes down to. She's incredibly charismatic. Look, I think I think the entire cast equip themselves really well with what they're given to do. I think it's a I think it's a film that starts off with some wonderful ideas in order to sort of play with the romantic comedy form, and as it goes on, it just becomes incredibly more contrived and regressive. There's times it's almost transgressive, though. It's really weird. Like, you've got that whole thing about the daughter taking photos of herself and all this sort of thing, and and it's it's really odd, but I think regressive ends up winning out in the end, and it just becomes kind of a very poor kind of farce. One of my favourites of the year... Came out this month. I have a feeling I'm a, I know. I bet you do because, let's face it, I like even the bad Woody Allen films, and mm. so when he makes a really good one, I I just give myself over. I'm completely lost. Uh, Midnight in Paris is just beautiful, and you I know, feel like I need it, to block my ears for this review because I've not seen it. Oh uh, well, I won't. I won't go into specifics. But if if Drive is the movie you want to have sex with, then. Midnight in Paris is the movie you want to marry. It's just (laughs) glorious. I would uh, clarify it more as uh, the movie you want to have a really intellectual discussion with over a bottle of red wine. During a romantic getaway, surely. Yes, (laughs) and uh, some red wine, some crusty bread, some cheese. It would be really nice. (laughs) It is a good movie. It is the two words that I've used time and time again to describe it are divine and lovely. Mm-hmm. Because it just washes over you those par- that Paris scenery, the the dialogue that just rolls off the tongue mm. of these really fabulous actors, and one of my favourite directors, Mr. Steven Soderbergh. Uh, mm. I, I described him the other day as being like a bus. You wait forever for one of his films to turn up, and then three show up at once. <laughs> 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 so he's got like three films coming out this Sorry. year. One of them is Contagion, um, which, look, I, I wasn't really all that won over by. I admired oh, it, but wanted to like it much more than I did. I thought Contagion was dull. Mm. I really wanted to love it. I mean, the cast is full of people I love, and some of them put in really ordinary performances. This is the, like, until this point, I didn't think Marion Cotillard was capable of putting in a bad performance. I guarantee there's an, like an hour of her storyline on the cutting room floor. You can just, just see... Her line reading's really unconvincing, mm. though. There's a couple of points. I mean, I know she's dealing with a second language, but mm. there's times where it's like, 
oh, I'm sorry, are we, am I interrupting something? Like, and Paltrow doesn't fare much better. Neither does Matt Damon in this case, who's usually Matt Damon's money in the bank. And in this, he's just kind of... There. Well, that's I think yeah that comes down to the writing. I, I just I'm not invested in his character storyline. It's it's Soderbergh interests me because a lot of times he's very emotionally distant mm. from his films. Um, sometimes he can really suck you in, but a lot of times he holds you at an arm's length. And Contagion's a huge instance of this. It's like everything is removed. Everything it's it's like it plays like every disaster film you've ever seen. The only innovations it adds are a web presence. Um, no, conta- no um, virus film has had a web presence yet, mm-hmm. and we have it via the WikiLeaks character played rather amusingly by Jude Law. I actually had fun with his performance, even though I, some have found it a little on the nose. Um, I, uh, Glenn, may- I think you're one of them. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say it wasn't until he says "crikey" halfway through the film that I realised that thing he was doing was an Australian accent. <laughs> wow! So, have you guys stopped hating now? Um, yeah. Your haters, yeah. your hate. I, oh, did you? You enjoyed it? I really liked. Wow! Contagion. Really? Yes. I I have since found out that I'm very much in the minority here. I really liked it. I think it's one of the bravest Hollywood productions, certainly of this year. Is that in terms uh, of the death count, sort of? Well, without going into that, specifics, and uh, just the fact it just is so methodical it it's it doesn't even attempt to be anything like a standard hollywood uh film like this like uh what's the one with the monkey outbreak outbreak mm. it is n- so far removed from outbreak that it's actually kind of funny. I was engrossed enough while watching it the more I kept thinking about it after I left the theater the more I disliked it mm. yeah, I liked it. Well, that's good. I'm glad you liked it because I wanted somebody to like it. Yeah, and that somebody wasn't <laughs> I'm glad I could have lied. Um, what did you guys think of Red State? Because that's one that was absolutely derided in the US by a lot of critics. The film is honestly not that offensive or badly done. Look, I, I didn't love Red State. Um, I thought it was I thought it was solid. I thought it, there's some huge gaps in logic. I think the, the psychology of the uh, Cooper family could have been um, a lot more exhaustively delved mm. into and they could have been a lot scarier. There, there was a point where they just kind of seemed ranty and... and um, oh, there's that in, like, a ten-minute scene of just a sermon and it's awful. <laughs> I hated this movie. Did you? <laughs> really? I hated it. I didn't hate it as much walking out of the cinema as I do now. I, My hate for this movie has... Just risen and risen and okay. risen. No, no, I just thought I thought it was punchy. I thought it was quick. I thought it was you know it's sort of you know it, 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 I thought it was a like it's sort of a lean mean little genre film with some with some gaps in logic. Some great performance. Like I think John Goodman was fantastic. He yeah. is good. Um and and steals the film. But yeah, I it's it's a real kind of solid six for me. What film does he steal? The Kevin Smith one or the Coen Brothers <laughs> comedy that Kevin Smith clearly rips off? Because that's kind of what Red State becomes. It's like about three movies in one. It starts off as a horror well, movie, then this almost Tarantino esque action film with guns going off everywhere, and then becomes this bizarre absurdist. Coen Brothers film and it's, well, it's mishmash all over the place. He did make it as three separate chapters. Even on the credits, he's mm. divided them into sex, religion, and um, 
I can't remember the other one. I do like the shifting protagonist and it gives you that nervous sense of there's not one person who's going to see this film through. So it's up for grabs. Or better off, yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I did not expect for a second that I would like this film and I really, really did. I think there's some amazing stuff in there. The thing I can't move past, though, the thing I, I keep thinking about since I saw it is the final 15 minutes of the film without talking about what happens. Yeah. I think it contains... Smith's best work and his worst work. I think he does, the best thing in his career happens and is then followed by the worst. It's I odd, actually it? agree. Yeah? It's odd, isn't it? I don't. I th- I think I'm fairly certain I know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about, and I definitely think if Smith had stuck to his guns and actually followed through in what he really. It seemed like it was trying to do. Then it would have. I would have actually come and think. Okay, you know what? Oh no! That I think would, I would have. But then I he just has. Out. He does not have the balls <laughs> to go through oh, with it. I think. And he, yeah. And in the end, way, he and the whole movie seems like this a spiel against religion. And then towards the end, it almost becomes like religion is like the hero of the piece. I just, just don't know what he was thinking with well, that I, ending. It's awful. Well, I think it reflects his own feelings because he he's a religious guy. Mm. He's, a, he's a devout Catholic. And in the end, he's sort of saying anti-extremist, but hey, religion's still okay. That's kind of what he's trying to get across. Talk about confounding expectations. Never thought for a second I would even like this film. And it's actually really good. I really enjoyed Real Steel. And I'm not the sort of person who's won over by boxing robots. I'm one of the last people who will be. And... It's solid. It's fun. I didn't actually see this one. But, Nor have I. But... Then I can talk more confidently about it. Yes. You, but I imagine I would like it more than I liked Warrior. Ah. Which was the other kind of... Didn't win you not, over? It's not boxing in Warrior. It's mixed martial arts. But mm. Yeah, I didn't like that one. Okay. I thought it was too obviously walking in the footsteps of other much better movies... And Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte having a contest to see who could mumble the most. I didn't like it. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. I, I unfortunately missed Real Steel. I wish I'd gotten to it. Did you see The Hunter? I did. Hunter's solid, I thought. Yes. yes. I was really surprised by The Hunter. Yeah. I was expecting something much more drab. Same, yeah. Some issues with it, but mostly, yeah. Yeah. I think Willem Dafoe is quite great. Mm. Uh, Francis O'Connor. Yep. Uh, the, set, the the look of the film is really uh, great. All yes. the deep mm. greens and blues and greys. Oh, it's really, really lovely to watch. The issue of truth in marketing in films has been raised uh, a couple of times this month. One with a rather ro- notorious uh, lawsuit um, uh, filed in America against the uh, producers of Drive for misrepresenting the film as a Fast and the Furious clone. A uh, woman went to see it in a suburban theatre and it wasn't quite enough Fast and Furious 6 for her liking and also apparently contained uh, prejudicial uh, vi- uh, violence against members of the Jewish faith, which was interesting. And the other thing happened in Australia with Surviving Georgia, which, uh, Glenn, you can fill us in a little more about as you were possibly directly involved in some of it. Yeah, I was a little bit. Um, well, firstly, the drive matter... That's a load of bull, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I might be playing devil's advocate here because I haven't seen the trailer, but I think suing them is going 
several dozen hundred steps too far. But if you're being sold one thing and you pay a lot of money to see it and it's something that it, the advertisement is not, then I think you have a right to complain if not. You know. I agree with you. Can I just point out one thing? Nothing explodes in the drive trailer. Big no. part of the Fast and Furious film is, is things exploding. There's no trailers, no like TV commercial or anything. No, there's nothing where like it's like vroom, and cars going off hills and exploding into flame. Like there's nobody pulls guns and runs at each other. Like it looks nothing like, like even yeah okay the trailer makes it look like there's more action than there is, but it looks nothing like a Fast and the Furious style. Okay, Screw Devil's Advocate, it's insane. Yeah, if, I'm, I'm with you. Is, is she the same one who's bringing this Jewish thing about? Yes. Okay. Because I got to say that was like we do control the media, and that one just slipped through the fingers. <laughs> Someone dropped the ball big time on that one. Um, so sorry, guys, that was us. Yeah, the thing with the Jewish as- aspect of this lawsuit is that yes, there are Jewish characters in this film that are evil. Mm. Well, not so much. Well, well evil they're, they're seems a bit guys. strong. Yeah. They're, they're bad guys. Yeah, yeah. and bad stuff may happen to them but is that then but that's not the yeah it's a bit you, insane you, i think i think the best part of uh, that ron perlman has comes from the fact that he is complaining about anti-semitism yeah. that he experiences that gives him such depth yeah. and it was mm. one of my favorite parts that's, of the film and that's it's such seen, a different angle to yeah. attack yeah. that from yeah and you don't expect that mm. in a film such as this so and it's a really interesting angle, and it is—it's Ron Perlman's best moment in the film. I yeah, think. absolutely. But is that why trailers these days have everything in the so. story in them yep. to take ta- take them through every single story beat, so they're not surprised by so. anything? Like if you showed up and saw Drive, and you were surprised at what you saw. I mean, I don't really anybody who spent five minutes on Google would probably find out that it is a bit European. It's not quite Fast and the Furious. So, I'd, yeah, this woman doesn't really have a leg to stand on with this lawsuit. It's a bit strange. Try. Whereas there was another case of a film, seemingly, it seemed like they deliberately misrepresented a quote. Whether they did or not is kind of up for debate. Glenn, your website broke this. Yes, it did. Stale popcorn. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, no, um, I'm. My, I received an email from uh, from someone who reads my blog, and they mentioned they raised the question with me of the trailer for an Australian film called Surviving Georgia, and the trailer features a four star review from The Guardian online, and I'd noticed this quote as well, and it's four says four stars, something along the lines of it will fill your heart with joy and leave you with a smile like, oh, okay slap your ass <laughs> this in the way kind out. of australian this tiny australian film that i <laughs> barely even heard of somehow got a four-star review okay but a bit of research actually shows that the guardian didn't write that review nor did they give it four stars they actually took that rating and that quote from a user who commented on the guardian's website <laughs> And, and decide to try and get around it through the online yeah. moniker. And yeah. the wow. quote is credited as guardian.co.uk. And so I was like, well, either they they knew this was dodgy and they're like and by crediting it as the website they can say, well, it was technically on the website. Yeah. 
or they legitimately really screwed up. And this quote appears on the poster as well. Do we know who wrote the quote? It's somebody by going by the name Luther Film. Luther. Now, do we know where that name well, a, comes from? A fellow uh, Melbourne uh, film writer by the name of Luke Buckmaster did a bit of... Who is a friend digging. of Hyphenates and yes, has been on this is. program. Uh, he did a bit of digging around and found that... The, not dire- He didn't have it, any involvement in making the film, but there is a man with, that, with the surname Luther who features in the press kit of this film. So, it's... Raises this question of where did this review come from, and was there actually some dodgy, uh, some dodgy behind the scenes work going in here? Because films like this generally need word of mouth; they need grassroots campaigning. Look, uh, I've I've written before that I feel like I'm ganging up on this film, yeah. this really tiny film that it might have just been that the producers. Just did a. They just slipped up, but it's their job to make sure that if you're going to use a four star quote on a poster that I've seen hanging up in several cinemas, mm. that this that quote has got to be real and to a actual proper source, not just oh yeah some guy. And, but if you're going to go that route, I say go all the way. My favorite quote of all time is on the American Psycho 2 DVD (laughs) the one with William Shatner in it and the quote is 10 out of 10 and that's attributed to IMDB (laughs) it's like they didn't even go they didn't even go go for 9 out of 10 they just went no screw it everyone's gonna know speaking of amazing marketing Paranormal Activity 3 now this is Uh, something that's come up in the last week since the film has been released and seen by the public and people have actually noticed, hey, pretty much everything you put in the trailer wasn't in the film. Uh, having seen the film and the trailer, I actually think it works. Yeah. Because so much, so many trailers these days ruin uh, the good bits in films, especially scary movies. You know who's going to be killed because they have a scene of them you know, running away covered in blood or whatever. Mm. But this one... Like there's allusions to the final, to the finished product, but the trailer is like just red herring central, and I kind of love it. It's interesting, isn't it? It almost harkens back to Roger Corman trailers of the seventies, where they throw in you know helicopters exploding and gun battles from other films, <laughs> advertising different yeah. movies. Well, like the film's got all this action, and then you go see the film, and it's got none of it. <laughs> it was all sizzle reel well, and. It's also like uh, Psycho. Uh, the original Alfred mm. Hitchcock trailer for Psycho features a scene not with Janet Lee in the shower, but with uh, the co-star, uh, Vera... Vera Miles. Vera Miles. What? They actually... Really? The trailer for the original 1960 Psycho... Are you talking about the one where Hitchcock talk, walks around? Yes. Like, oh, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he walks yeah, into yeah. the... Classic Into trailer. the uh, hotel favorites. room, yeah. walks in the bathroom, opens the shower, and there is not Janet Lee. There is Vera Miles, and it's, so it's like, well, if Alfred Hitchcock can do it. I think Paranormal Activity yeah. Three can do it. Yeah, yeah fair H- enough. Hitch and Corman, it's good company. Yeah. Why not? Why not? So, Glenn, tell us whom have you picked for your Hellas for Hyphenates Filmmaker of the Month? 
Ooh, sexy. <laughs> um, well, that was the desired response. <laughs> even sexier in person, <laughs> I must say. Well, this month I decided to go with Gus Van Sant. I think Van Sant has one of the most fascinating careers of current working directors. There is so many peaks and valleys in his uh, career. He has made some truly amazing cinema, some really bad cinema. I think you're right. I think he does have one of the most interesting careers. And when we get to a certain point in it, I'm going to tell you about how I perceived his career before, I guess, walking backwards and seeing where he started. Uh, it's it's a very easy to career, career to misinterpret. Yeah. yeah. Do you mind I me asking, just before we get into it, what was the first Van Sant film? Goodwill Hunting. To Die For. Okay. Because I can imagine people who saw something like, who came in late with something like Elephant, would have a really bizarre reaction mm. to the rest of his career. But, you know, let's, let's head back to the, to the start. I find that Van Sant's one of the true auteurs we've had on this podcast. Very, because I think he's one of the few filmmakers that every single film he's made, you can link with one theme. Yep. And to me, that's mm. Little Boys Lost. Yes, yeah. He's, Every he's single very much f- one of his films. He very much loves the winsome, hand, attractive, <laughs> uh, young male protagonists finding their way throughout. Exa- the, but even in the, the case world. of Norman Bates, even yeah, in the case exactly. of Will Hunting, there are two exceptions. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> even oh. they fit into the little boy's lost thing. One is even Calgus Get the Blues, which is a little girl lost. Yeah. And the other one is Milk. In which Milk, Harvey Milk has very much found his direction, but little boys lost are attracted he to him. He helps and those little boys lost. Like yeah. flies. He's a messiah to little yeah, boys yeah. lost. And that's what... And I'm not saying it's necessary with a gay connotation or, or, or anything like that. I think it's everyone... Whether it's the lead character in Melanoche that's trying to... The, the gay lead character that is trying to get straight Mexican boys to fall in love with him. Whether it's the, you know... Whether it's River Phoenix in My Own Private Idaho, or Matt Dillon in in Drugstore Cowboy, or the lead character in Elephant, or yeah. Matt Damon and Casey Affleck and Jerry, who are literally lost, every single film can be distilled to this theme. So I've I've got another theme which I am going to mention at the end, and it's a lot more literal mm. than what you picked up on. And there are two films that are exceptions to this <laughs> as well. Well, Malinoche is a really fascinating film. I don't think this film gets enough credit for its place within queer cinema. It came about at least oh, about four years before the new queer movement with films by Todd Haynes. Um, Gregoraki and... Yeah, uh, and Derek Jarman. Yeah. The lead character is gay, but it could be anyone mm. trying to get the affection of someone that they have a crush on. And... I think it's. I actually think this film is very similar to David Lynch's Eraserhead, yeah. in the way that it's obviously done on the cheap. See, I got it's a Jim Jarmusch vibe. Would, oh. Yes, yes, Jarmusch. Totally. I got a Stranger Than Paradise vibe all yeah, up yeah. and down. I must admit, I'm not a big Jarmusch fan, okay. so I haven't it felt like if Jim Jarmusch was a beat poet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's you know he's, he's obviously got a huge love for that that beat poetry. Oh, doesn't he? You know, I love it when filmmakers are 
attached to a place. Mm. I love it when they're yeah. so strongly associated. That's, he does keep the, coming back to Portland, Oregon, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah. The similarities between, you know, the homosexual lead character. His name is Streeter? Tim Streeter. Tim Streeter. Yeah. Fascinating how his story of being gay in Oregon 1986 relates to being an illegal immigrant in Oregon 1986. Mm. And it's kind of got that awesome, like, you know, 16 mil look to mm. it which he um, is something else he comes back to yeah. again and again yeah that, that is true especially with like paranoid park mm. later and even career. milk yeah it, it is a cracking debut and i'm surprised yeah. it's not talked about more yeah after this film studios started coming towards yes. him trying to get him to become that sort of art house success story made good but none of the films that he wanted to make the studio wanted to make so he then went back and went back to Portland and decided to make yeah. Drugstore Cowboy it's a great film look I, I I really like Drugstore Cowboy I like I like the fact that it again it seems so influenced by the beats mm. and I mean William Burroughs even makes an appearance yeah. as a priest I love his voice and it's funny because he uses Burroughs again and again throughout his career and it's almost yeah. like Burroughs represents a talisman to him mm. somebody that both thematically and but, but also like his very presence he has him on set almost as a good luck charm, you know, yeah. as a as a as a link, as a, a as a link to his influence. Um, but yeah, and I like this sort of the very intimate kind of feel of it, and it's got you know it, it's got a real nineties, um, like like the a cast that would become nineties. Yeah, it's Dalek. it's got a it's got James the look of the early nineties totally. about it, the it's very grungy look that was very popular around the early nineties. It's there in space. Exactly, mm. it feels like an early nineties film. Yeah. From, as you say, its look and its feel and its milieu of, you know, of junkies, but with this sort of dark sense of humour. I think it's an engrossing film. I think it's an entertaining film. It did... I did feel a bit of an emotional reserve from it, Yeah, I, I agree. It's one of... Emotionally. It's one of his films, yeah, I wasn't as emotionally drawn in uh, as many of his other films. I, I think that's a direct... Because uh, I get that I, when I read... Um, beat novels mm. and I love them but they are emotionally distancing and I, sh- I should say I, I'm glad I'm not I don't find any emotional uh, attachment to these characters well no <laughs> that's not probably exactly a good the thing, nicest yeah. but the success of that film then led to probably his most iconic film yeah My Own Private Idaho which is probably my favourite of his Oh films. my God, I love this film. Unbelievable. It's this yeah. amazing melodrama and it feels like such a huge risk, not because he's got pretty young Hollywood actors being incredibly gay throughout, but because it's so overt and larger than life yeah. and it's and it, it's so Shakespearean. And then I, mm. I started playing this game, watching it again the other day, going, which, which play is this? And it's... Yeah, it it's it's Henry the Fourth. Can I say something? I need to give a shout out here. Yeah, I was watching it. My partner Pez, who's uh, a big Shakespeare buff, walked into the room halfway through, sat down, and after hearing two minute, uh, like uh, I think a minute or two of Keanu Reeves' dialogue, it's like this is Henry the Fifth. Just totally nailed it. Mm. Henry the Fifth. Yeah, because it's Henry the Fourth Part One, Henry the Fourth yeah. Part Two, and Henry the Fifth. Oh, okay. Yep. The, the lack of war referenced. in France. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. It's I can, a whole I can relationship see that. between Falstaff and, um, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I was, I, yeah, I was looking at the whole father relationship. That's and the, thing. the film has these really radical tonal shifts, but negotiates yeah. them perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Like you're in this very spare kind of almost early 90s, you know, 
sort of rural vista kind of and then all of a sudden we swing into this urban modern Shakespeare story where you know we're talking about characters with inheritances and you know mm. bands of merry men and and it's but it fits perfectly yeah mm. and it's such and I think it's definitely one of his most potent emotional journeys too yeah I think that has to a lot of that has to go to River Phoenix yeah. That performance is one of the greatest performances of the 1990s. Mm. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah. It, he is so good. And River Phoenix was such an important part of Van Sant's career, his personal life. He he was like a muse for mm. Van Sant, even though they only made one film together. Mm. Well, the Phoenix family became The whole Phoenix movies. family mm. ended up being very important to Van Sant, but I think he knew that in River Phoenix he'd found a kind of a kindred mm. spirit. They were both very much interested in exploring aspects of life that cinema rarely went to, especially around the early 1990s. The Idaho passages of the film towards the end, there's just this stark like nothingness to the terrain that... I think is really evocative. Um, yeah, with every every one of these hyphenates, there's, a, there's always one film that's a real discovery to me that I didn't expect to love as much and just got me, and that's the one, like My Own Private Idaho. Just you mean it, it wasn't even Cowgirls? Get the Blues? Yeah, really? What? Uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a, a shock. shock. His next film, and, and what's what amazing is you can see the happened? progression. It totally oh. feels like the next stage in his career. It feels like the next film he should have made. It feels tonally consistent and yet it's kind of disastrous he attacks it with confidence yeah i absolutely agree it's like there's big visuals and big leaps and it's like he clearly throws himself into this with confidence it's like it's the swagger of someone that's just found themselves as a filmmaker oh my god does it not work it is awful but you're right it feels like a gus van sant film there is an auteur touch to this movie it's just so all over the place. It's a film with ADHD. Uh, it yeah, can't focus on one got, plot, yeah. on one character, on one thing. And it does, and not in the way of an Altman-esque ensemble film. It's a film that literally loses focus every 10 minutes. Yeah. And I, we're off somewhere else. And by the end, we're watching characters we don't care about, campaigning about something we don't care about, against people we don't care about. Yeah, mm. There's, like, the entire plot of the movie involves Uma Thurman who's born with very large thumbs, so she decides to become a professional hitchhiker. And then she moves to a ranch and starts hawking female sanitary products. I... And the ranch is full of cowgirl lesbians who are trying to take over the ranch that they rightfully th- own. There's <laughs> something about the hooping ducks or something that they whooping cranes. Whooping crane. Yeah. It's definitely an interesting failure. Yeah, it's failure. Oh, absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. I don't but mind failure. It's, it's not just trying to do something. It's an big. interesting yeah, one. Yeah. You, yeah, you have to see it to believe it. But he gets back on track in 95 with To Die For. Mm. I mean, judging by the rating on IMDb, not everyone feels he got back on track, but. I think this is a fantastic film. I think yeah. this Kidman's amazing. amazing. This is a very important film in several careers. Van Sant's because he rebounded after that, after the disaster of mm. Cowgirls. It was probably one of the two most important films that Nicole Kidman has ever made. Absolutely. She won her first Golden Globe for it, mm. and gives one of her greatest performances ever, and showed that 
she wasn't just Tom Cruise's wife. And Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Well, it introduced him to the world pretty yeah. much. I mean, and he'd been Leaf and things like Parenthood, but this introduced Joaquin. Yeah. Mm. And it's the third straight film with a different Phoenix sibling. Yes, it yeah. is actually. River in Idaho, Rain in uh, Cowgirls, and uh, Joaquin in To Die For. Yeah. And it's so technically assured as yeah. well. Mm. It it has that wonderful like art house vibe to it, but it, it feels very accomplished. And just that sense of humour dark is sense wicked. of humour again, yeah. That is... It blows me away watching that Great soundtrack again. too. Like, All By Myself is her wedding song. It's amazing. <laughs> that, that is my favourite scene. <laughs> it just... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it's just such a great touch that you just yeah. don't expect. And that was, I think, something that he then... Yeah, it was something that he was very adamant, I think in trying to prove the naysayers wrong, that he'd been given all this money and ruined even Cowgirls Get the Blues, was mm. like, you know what? I can I can make something that aiming more for the mainstream. And it mm. Yeah, he's really work. developing that mainstream style and yeah. it can be trusted with this. It's very I think the the look and feel of this film trans uh, transferred over to his Big breakthrough. The big one, Goodwill Hunting yes. in 97. Mm. Recruited by the Wa- Brothers Weinstein, mm. I think, to direct it's this interesting screenplay choice, by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I think it, it's it, it doesn't immediately leap to mind for this screenplay, but again, it does fit the Little Boy Lost template. But other than that, you wouldn't really think of Van Sant for this project. Yeah. And even seems in execution the least Van Sant of Van Sant's films. I actually found myself getting getting quite emotionally attached. I just think it works as one of those sort of oh, fills you up inside movies. You you, it's got the heart and it's got all that sort of stuff. And it is not something you would associate with Van Sant. And that's mm. why I think it works. It seems like he's really he is going for broke, trying to make something that will appeal to as many people as possible. It's certainly a, a subversion of his style to date. Yeah, but uh, then it's, it's still... Watching all these films together, yeah. they very much... It feels there's that atmosphere and... That well, there's still the thematic elements yeah. too. Even uh, though he moved to, moved to cities, obviously, yeah. for this film. Um, the thing you keep forgetting with Good Will Hunting is just uh, how tart the dialogue is. Yeah, the dialogue definitely. is fantastic, and all that great interplay between the Boston boys all mm. sparring with each other, and that uh, I remember that's what made the film for me when I first saw yeah. it. It's just they're so hilarious and natural, and the dialogue's so funny and sharp. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it works brilliantly. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a little bit sentimental, but you know what, it works. Now I had a big realization uh, a year later because huge Hitchcock fan. I was really worried about them remaking Psycho. I thought this was a terrible idea. How could you possibly do it? Then I hear Gus Van Sant is going to do it and he's going to remake it shot for shot to stop someone else ruining it. And I think this is the best idea ever. I'm singing his praises. I'm talking about what a genius move it is. And then I see it and I think, you know what? I would have preferred to see someone mess it up because I've seen this film before. I know a lot of people really like it, but I don't know why. Yeah, so I'm I'm on the side. I rewatched it recently. I think we'll we'll yeah we'll close with Glenn here because he has some very specific thoughts on this, and I'm uh, dying to hear them. Uh, yeah, I I watched it again recently, and I uh, like I want to give it every time. Like I remember when I saw it in '98, and when I saw it 
last week, I always go into it incredibly optimistically. Because from the outside, it's just like, this is great. I, I love the The cast is amazing. It's it's an interesting director. It's so... But both times, 13 years removed, I had exactly the same reaction. It is by no means a bad film. It's beautifully shot. It's gorgeously crafted. It's well acted. But it's just... It just makes me feel empty. Glenn? When choosing a director for this month, this was the film that really tipped me over the edge for Van Sand. I love this movie. I will defend it to the end of the earth. I think it's absolutely brilliant Okay, why? Why? Because you've... You know there was another film called Psycho about you know thirty years earlier. Right? I, yeah. I do, and it is about English one of my I don't know if you're three aware. favorite films ever made. Okay, <laughs> but I, whenever I sit down to watch it, which is actually quite frequently, <laughs> I just I I just sit there and admire the balls that it took to for Gus Van Sant to. Coming off the back of Goodwill Hunting, huge success, Oscar nominee, to then decide to make what amounts to an experimental film. He took this film that is so ingrained in film history, in film culture. We've all seen it, and most people really love it. He took this film, and, well, as you said, he copied it pretty much shot for shot and when I watch it I see so much stuff that I actually wouldn't notice in the Hitchcock version because I don't know with the Hitchcock one I I have seen that one so much I know it back to front that to see Psycho then with fresh eyes see it with colour eyes to see it through this almost modern day prism of that Van Sant puts it through, it makes it an... It may be the same film in a technical sense, but it's altogether different. I just love this film. It really is something that I find... Sometimes I find it hard to put into words because I know so many people are staring at me like, what? Well, no, I get it. I I get why you like... I get it. (laughs) No, I do. I do see it. Like, I I get why you like the intent because I I like the intent as well. Well, I admire the intent... Just not the result. Yeah. I think that's and it's it. and it's this kind of thing like like there were various claims as to why this happened. And Van Sant's like, you know, one of them is as you said before, Lee. I'll do I it so nobody else can do it. Do it. Yeah. Another one was, well, kids don't watch black and white, so I'm going to give them a color version. Mm. And it's like, but he's made it so weirdly anachronistic with all this merging of time periods. It's like no kid watching it see, except for you well, would exactly. relate to it. Well, <laughs> see, I see, I saw this before I'd seen. Hitchcock Psycho and I didn't mm. like well, I liked it but I'm like oh okay so oh I wonder what the original's all about I didn't know it was shot for shot mm. and I saw the original I'm like oh that is actually that's the film but then having then seen the original and then going back to the remake mm. like I think it was a few years later at that point I'm like I think I kind of get what Van Sant was doing because that was the time I was really getting into cinema and really trying to get to like some nitty gritty uh, ideas about what the 
this craft that we're so obsessed with can <laughs> do and what it can be about. And if, so you look, if you're looking to learn how to deconstruct cinema, the two psycho films back to back are probably a good way yeah, to start. Yeah, <laughs> and it just yeah, it's very much a film where I look at it and I I look at it with a very almost a scholarly eye. Mm. I, I'm trying to pinpoint all the things that Van Sant is doing, and yeah, I absolutely love it. Okay. Love it. Do you love Finding Forrester? No. Good. Because, <laughs> my God, what a terrible film. This See, is, I didn't find it terrible. It's really? terrible. I thought it was perfectly it's professional. Average. I just think it's hampered. I think it's actually really... I think it's reasonably directed. I think it's pretty well acted. I just think it's hackily written. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, no. It's, to- that's it's, what, a, yeah. it's a... Mod, you know, it's like... Fuck. It's Goodwill Hunting meets Scent of a Woman. It is Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Just set to New York. It's I don't... Get what Van Sant saw in well, this. I think money. I think the studio had yeah. a script that was like Goodwill Hunting. Let's bring in the Goodwill Hunting well, guy and throw money at him to do it. Like I said at the start, Van Sant has so many peaks and valleys in his career. Mm. And after Goodwill Hunting, he then had the downfall that was psycho in the eyes of many. Mm. And then, so he, he was, I think he was obviously, yeah, just like, oh, I need something to crawl back here. Mm. And yeah, Goodwill Hunting too, basically. Yeah, it's, it's the obsession in, it. from in that Hollywood had in the '90s of the inspirational mentor yeah. story yeah. hitting critical mass. Like, I think there's elements of Van Sant, particularly in the opening. Like, it's this very kind of street level New York kind of thing. Yeah, and he seems to put a, a lot of that naturalism and kids at play type sort of thing in there. And then that's about all we get. Yeah, I like from the I like the, the way he used music in that mm. there's various forms, various styles of music to represent the way that this area of Manhattan is uh, changing uh, and like the way there's so many different cultures around yep. there at the time so but yes and and uh, and uh, and I also think that it's uh, very bloated too I think every every scene runs three, three times longer than it should yeah. Um, mm. yeah so my perception of Van Sant at this stage is I've seen three films from him uh, two of which I didn't like and one of which I did like, and popular culture, because of the Academy Award win, had ingrained in me that it was all down to the script. So my opinion of Van Sant after seeing Goodwill Hunting and then Psycho and then Finding Forrester was, okay, this guy hit it lucky with Goodwill Hunting, except not, yeah. And it, Hunting feels like a film that could have been directed by anybody. It does, it, it has that sense about him. So going from that into a film like Jerry, well... The entire death trilogy. This, yes, exactly. I think it's fair to lump these three all together. Jerry, Elephant and Last Days. Yep. I think Jerry is one of... It's perhaps the the best career... uh, I don't want to say resurgence... Reinvention. Uh, re- Revitalisation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Since uh, David Lynch went from Dune to Blue Velvet. Right. To go from Finding Forrester <laughs> to Jerry, mm. it boggles my mind. I didn't even love the film, and but I respect it almost more than any other in his entire... It is just pulling the handbrake and going in oh, a new direction, isn't yeah. it? Like, where did this come from? It's Matt Damon and Casey Affleck walking around the desert. For 90 minutes. I lost. think fans of Samuel Beckett would have a hard time with this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is I gotta say, I tried to watch it at 10 o'clock at night a couple of nights Ooh. ago when tired. That didn't work. Yeah. I, I think I've seen about 15 minutes of it. I, I, don't, I don't love it, but it's yeah. 
Elephants yeah. extraordinary elephant. though. What a gut punch. That, that is just it's got the most powerful <laughs> statement about the cause of violent acts or the lack of cause of violent acts that I've ever seen in well, a movie. Vincent puts basically every possible thought, mm. every possible theory to a high school massacre in there mm. and tells you 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 make a choice I can't. It's yeah. too hard to it's all of these and it's none it of these. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. all it's all of them but it's none of them. It's, it's just oh. Elephant is Probably his my favorite film. Of his. Really? Ah. Yeah, I can see that. It blew my mind back then. Still does when I rewatched it just the other night. It's astonishing. Mm. I think I need to have another look at it. It's this is I didn't get to watch watch it again before the the podcast, but I saw it a couple of years ago. I just again I felt that I f- like I know the, the I know the coldness and the removed the the removed point of view is completely intentional. But it had that effect on me. It distanced me from what was going on. I think it's gorgeously shot. I think it's wonderfully elegant. I, I, and I absolutely admire the approach. But in the end, it just didn't gut punch me. And I, I, I felt there were little things like... And, and I guess what you were saying about it's all the causes and it's none of them and he's packed them all in there kind of makes sense. But at the time, throwing in the thing about, oh, they're, you know, their repressed homosexuality seemed like a reach to me. I... I don't think they are gay or repressed. Mm. I think it's merely just a an act of, you know, we're about to kill a lot of people and mm. probably ourselves. And as they say in the film, like they hadn't kissed anyone in their life and yeah. I that was just those these two having like cr- crying out for their own moment of yeah. intimacy before Embarking on this uh, massacre. That That's how I that read it. That's well. an interesting yeah. point. Yeah, yeah I didn't I don't get think that at all. Okay. I don't think they're meant to be gay. I think that something that it can obviously be read into it. But yeah. I don't think it felt like loose speculation to me, and it felt a bit yeah, snobby. But if, but looking at it from this point of view, so lots of loose. It's mm. it weaves around. It doesn't. It just joins these characters very much on this day. Mm. It doesn't attempt to tell us anything about their past because when we watch news of yeah. a high school massacre they might try to pretend that you know that uh, everyone knew these people and that they the whole school loved them but the, mm. the thing is we All don't know them. these mm. people mm. this it's a cold methodical film but a brilliant one nonetheless did you did you like last days because I, I felt that he was I mean that's the end of that unofficial trilogy and I, I like the way that, that sort of seems like the culmination of this new style of using incredibly minor, almost random moments in somebody's life to illustrate the a larger thing. I mean, it's sort of loosely based on Kurt Cobain. Last Days, I don't know. It. I really like this because, I mean, there's, I, I got so much out of this character from a, a Yellow Pages salesman coming to the door and talking to him for 10 minutes. And you know that guy was an actual... Yellow Pages salesman <laughs> who turned up on set. It's the only yeah. film he's done. He turned up on set and they thought he was that so interesting they put him in the film. Wow. It's my favourite moment in the film. Well, they just get me. Michael Pitt to uh, improv with him. Is that, is that it, how it they It kind of looks right. like it. It's just mumbling and it's... And, and, and I'm learning so much about this guy who is not saying a single thing that is... It's obviously none of it's truthful. Mm. 
he's just going along with him and I'm learning so much about it. and I love the way I think that's something that Van Sant really learned to do later in his career is use minor moments to illustrate a larger truth mm. oh, yeah, I just think this film doesn't succeed because or as I mean I like it but it's, I think it's one of his weaker films mm. I just because the fact that it is so based on Kurt Cobain, there's no way to not read this as anything other than uh, Kurt Cobain's like an unofficial biopic of his mm. last days. I just don't think it delves far enough uh, when we're dealing with a figure like that. It's just the film just seems a bit too wishy-washy. Like it. Mm. Uh, it's so stylized. I yeah. I don't have trouble seeing it as more Van Sant than than Cobain because mm. it's such it's so Van Santy. Yeah, I like the music. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. This is one of the few I haven't seen. So. Yeah, I yeah. I wish Last Days wasn't a member of the Death Trilogy, but Paranoid Park was. Paranoid Park's great, isn't Paranoid it? That's his Park. 2007 discordant, observational, and more non-professional actors in Portland, yeah. Oregon. Wow. Except for Taylor Momsen from Gossip Girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll take your word on that. <laughs> yeah, she's awful in this film. Okay. Uh, I, I love this film. Yeah, yeah, this one is such ambiance, such texture to it. There's a uh, uh, Christopher Doyle, the great Australian cinematographer, uh, worked mm. on it. And there's uh, those looks skating amazing. scenes filmed in 16mm, I yeah. think. Again, the 16mm. Amazing. Uh, the... Yeah, the, this young kid, Gabe Nevins, I think his name yeah. is. He's got such a face on him. It, he's, uh, great at, this, he's great at casting. He, he just is, finds these yeah. kids. It works, actually, as as a thriller mm. as well. It's probably like his closest to an actual thriller, yeah. with, uh, apart from maybe Psycho, obviously. Uh, the way it, he plays with time, but still manages to get this very... Uh, almost chronological feel of ram- of uh, escalating uh, tension mm. with the story of this boy who has accidentally or he's involved in the accidental death of a security guard mm. and that scene in the train yard whoa yeah that's ex- one of the best scenes Van Sant's ever filmed it's amazing stuff yeah um, now the thing that I said before that I'd noticed as a running theme throughout his films, and more a a surface theme than a subtextual one, Uh-oh. is every one of his films tends to pivot on a very unlikely death, oh. on an accidental death that seems too extraordinary for a film, but because most of his films are based on real-life incidents... It's it, the exceptions are Finding Forrester and, and, and Goodwill Hunting, uh, even though there is a, a death in one of those, but it's it's not in the same vein. But all of his films, there is something that just it's almost like life is going on as normal, and then this thing comes out of the blue it's and changes everything. Very much, yeah, just kind of like regular characters who somehow end up in this kind of mixed up situation. Mm. I think the screenplay to Paranoid Park is if anyone wants to know what like teenagers actually speak like mm. they should watch this movie <laughs> yeah yeah i don't this is pr- one of the only movies that's actually gotten teen speak so they say uh correctly because so many films about teenagers they are 
you know, they don't sound anything like realistic mm. kids. But this one, where this the main kid, he ums and ahs. He uh, he. There's long periods of silence where he's like trying to think up lies, <laughs> and then they just roll off. There's a scene with a, with a cop where he's making up this big extravagant lie about where he was on the night of the mm. murder. And it's like a true teenager who's so adverse in, so natural. in lying to authority figures. It's Yeah, it's just like mm. common common thing for yeah. it. I think, yeah, this screenplay is one of the his finest works. Speaking of great screenplays, Milk, 2008. Written by Dusted Lance Black, yes. as the trailer proclaimed yeah. in massive letters. Which I was making fun of because it, so, it was such a funny thing to shout out in a trailer. And then I saw the film and went, you know what? That was a great script. I would really? shout that out as well. I thought, yeah, I think it's a brilliant film. Really? Yeah. I, I think that I love the film. I don't think the screenplay is its strongest. Yeah, it seems no? to be a biopic recounting it's, of events yeah. to me. I didn't. It didn't seem that extraordinary. The film as a whole, I like. I love the style that Van Sant applies to it, and it's got some amazing performances. But it felt to me like a fairly standard issue biopic about an incredibly interesting that subject. Way. I think it's structured that way, but I felt so much watching it that it was like they'd subversively slipped in all these I guess deeper revelations into what looked on the surface like a standard biopic that it, re- it impressed me quite a lot I think it's it's you know a really great mainstream film for him to have made mm. yeah, I'm very true to his spirit in a lot of mm. ways yeah well and I mean it's whether you can say that oh it's not perhaps not you know as autistic driven as many of his other films I think it ranks as one of his most important films mm. I think this story deserved to be told absolutely it's not very often that I find biopics deserve to be made mm. if one person who didn't know who he was <laughs> before seeing this film went and saw it I, I'm glad that this movie got made but I will say the documentary that this is spun off from the Times of Harvey Milk mm. by Rob Epstein. That's actually, it's a great that's doctor. a bit better. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but this one is yeah, this one's really great. Yeah. I think it very much fits in Van Sant's oratorial style. Mm. I think in terms of yeah, again, as I said earlier, the little boy lost theme is like it's a various little boy lost, little yeah. boys lost, but also the sixteen millimeter look at times. The the uh, as far as the way it explores. Um, you know, uh, uh, the gay place in society and how, you know, how that's sort of been forged and mm. um, and a struggle for normal- normalcy. And, yeah, I like, no, mm. I think it absolutely fits. I think uh, it fits a hell of a lot more than Good Will Hunting yeah. and Finding Forest. I like that it kind of parallels, I think, his, almost his, own, like, his career. Like, he's now gotten to the stage where he can be so completely openly gay mm. in a mainstream Hollywood film much like society where being gay isn't seen as that big a deal yeah well frustratingly we're like a week away from the uh, media screening of his new film Restless so we'll have to talk about that in a later podcast but uh, yeah thanks for joining us thank you so much thank you for having me and we'll see you all next month keep watching stuff